Welcome to Bollywood for Lovers, part of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. I'm Erin Fraser. And I'm Matt Bose. In this episode, we're getting lost in Austin with That's a Thing co-host Karen Unland, who joins us to discuss two Indian takes on classic Jane Austen novels. First up, Ashwarya Rai channels her inner Elizabeth Bennett in Karinder Chadha's 2004 Bollywood-adjacent musical romance, Bride and Prejudice. Then, Sonam Kapoor steps into the role of Emma by way of Clueless in Rajshri Ocha's 2010 romantic comedy, Aisha. Before we begin, we would like to respectfully acknowledge that we record this podcast on Treaty 6 territory, traditional lands of First Nations and Métis people. Karen, welcome back! Oh, it's so exciting to be here. Two-timers club. Last time it was around your, your, your kitchen table. Now we're all very remote, aren't we? Yes, yeah. we have to. Unfortunately, we have to record this over Skype. We'd love to have you over and make you a <laughs> cocktail and, you know, and just kind of engage in, in, in pleasantries in person. But unfortunately... Instead, no pleasantries. We can't, we can't Only business. <laughs> Movies, go. Um, but you were on last time with your daughter, Elizabeth, to discuss some some YA films, some, yeah. some teen films, because Elizabeth, on your a show, teen. That's a Thing, she explains teenage things to you. She does, yes. Is she named after Elizabeth Bennett? No, uh, she's sort of named after the Queen, I guess, oh. which is going to be weird. But... <laughs> I've heard of her. <laughs> I've gotten very into the royals in the pandemic, so I love that. <laughs> Absolutely love And that. also, your middle name is Elizabeth. Yes, my middle name is Elizabeth. Why is your middle name Elizabeth? Um, because they didn't, because my grandmother's name is Ethel, and they didn't want it to be Ethel, and her middle name was Elizabeth. Oh, okay. Yeah. That makes sense, I guess. I have no issues with Ethel, but that's why. Yeah, they were going to name you after a wombat, so... <laughs> <laughs> It's a very weird story to throw out. Um, but yes, that almost uh, We'll never happened. explain it either. <laughs> we will never explain it. Uh, Karen, you're also our fearless leader at the Alberta Podcast Network. Well, I don't know how much I'm leading anymore. I just, I've sort of, um, I feel like one of you guys now because I've turned over the day-to-day operations to, to Fonda Mithrush, but uh, I, I'm happy that the network is, continues on and, uh, and I'm happy to be a member of it. With the, That's a thing and alongside Bollywood is for Lovers and a whole bunch of podcasts and we just uh, added a whole bunch of new ones. So that's exciting. French one too, right? Yes, yeah. very exciting. Yeah. And we've had Fonda on the show in the past as well. Maybe yeah, we'll Fonda get her. and Paul. Yeah, maybe we'll get her on again in the future. So, you know, the Alberta Podcast Network. Just keep Network ingratiating is... <laughs> ourselves with our bosses. I was just going to say, the Alberta <laughs> Podcast Network is very much, you know, it's it's podcasters leading other podcasters, which I think is a lovely, a lovely little community that we are in. Yeah. Okay. Uh, anything? <laughs> Enough you... banter. Well, I was just going to say, Karen, anything else you want to tell us about That's a Thing or any other projects you're working on before what is we get the, into it? What is the most bizarre teen thing that you've had to reckon with lately? Oh, you mean like in real life with my teenagers that I'm trapped in my house with? <laughs> <laughs> well, like I- I'm going to guess like teen media, like a TikTok fad or something. Is there something that just completely seems alien to you? Um, the kind of the entire thing is alien to me. I I guess I mostly though interact with their culture as a more like an anthropologist than as somebody who's like 
um, appalled by it. Like, mm-hmm. it's just so interesting mm-hmm. the way that they mix and remix and re re remix everything. Mm-hmm. So, um, <laughs> what I, my youngest, um, my son, Jonathan, has started up uh, a Twitter account. And it's about this very, very, he's part of a community of people who are very interested in this very niche thing. And what he's been doing lately is sitting beside me and said, let me explain my Twitter account to you. (laughs) And he will go through and tell me what these memes are. And I'll say, like, I, I don't understand what you are, what your joke is. You clearly have like. 150 people have liked this so it's clearly a good joke but I don't understand it and he says okay first I have to show you the original one then I have to show you the 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 the, the joke that led to this and this is why there's a frog there like <laughs> so they got they just got so used to explaining things to you all the time so now you have to do it even when it's not a podcast yes that's our our <laughs> whole relationship is based on explaining things to me now <laughs> what, what is his extremely niche interest uh thomas the tank engine yeah. oh okay yeah there's a lot of weird conspiracies about thomas the tank engine yeah no your cousin's kind of into him too right no your nephew yes yeah yeah yeah, there's there's quite a huge community, or I don't know, huge huge to me. There's quite a, a very engaged community around um, the show, the lore, the mm-hmm. the merchandise, the storytelling, and it's it's quite it's it's a pretty the part that he's involved in is quite progressive, quite interesting, very um, I don't know, mutually supportive. Mm. It's really nice. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen some of like the political stuff of Tom's the Tank Engine because, you know, his world is great and everyone is a train. So it's obviously a world in which like socialism works mm-hmm. because everyone, <laughs> no one owns a car. It's a, everyone is using trains for everything. Well, I remember thinking it was really interesting in the Ant-Man film, the Thomas the Tank Engine, because they like blow up because Ant-Man can like make things big or make things small. And so he makes a Thomas the Tank Engine set like really, really big. Um, or does he get really, really small and he's around a Thomas the Tank Engine? He gets really small, then they fight on a Thomas the Tank Engine toy, yeah. and then at the end, a Thomas thing gets huge. Anyways, it was really <laughs> funny, and when I took one of my nephews, who is now, he is now an adult, he's like, what, 19 now? Yeah. When I took him to see it, uh, it was really exciting to see, for like the very first time, his own, like, his own nostalgia, because yes. we are so used to... Like, popular culture constantly pandering to our nostalgia yeah so it was it was exciting to see like you know he was very excited about thomas this thomas the tank engine reference in Ammon because he loved thomas the tank engine as a kid and i think still you know was still kind of interested in it so then to see it in the movie in the movie in this way so this has been some nice side tangents about thomas the tank. <laughs> <laughs> trains are uh, trains I, are very interesting because uh, for Bollywood fans, because there's so many movies set on trains or yeah. train travel, so trains are big in there's probably a big link between Thomas Heads and uh, Bollywood people. Uh, let us know. Uh, the... Yeah, let us know. So come on, talk. <laughs> we could get Thomas the Tank Engine on. That would be amazing. <laughs> I don't know how we get a mic up to him though. The last thing that I want to point out is that you recently, or relatively recently, did an episode on Clone High. 
And I was and now Clone High's coming back, so we can we can trust, I was we can say thank you. Amazed to listen to a conversation between people of different generations, where the generation that actually consumed Clone High was not involved. Yeah. <laughs> because Elizabeth is is too young to have watched Clone High when it came out. And 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 you were unaware of Clone High, but Matt and I are of the Clone High generation. Yeah. So to listen to her explain it to you was fascinating <laughs> because a I had no idea that like Gen Z was interested in Clone High. Or she the, took completely different stuff out of it oh, than yeah. we did. Like, or the way that like Clone High became a meme, I had no idea yeah. any of this. And then also, we reference Clone High on this show so much. Yeah, I know, and I listen to your show so much. And but somehow, because I had never heard of it, it never registered with me. Anytime we so, mention, uh, we don't the always Kennedys, call them out. Yeah, anytime the Kennedys are mentioned or often Gandhi, I'll kind of you know keep an eye out for that one. That that could be a little bit problematic for us. But we don't always call out the Clone High references. We just this is let just them the way we talk. Yeah, anyway. that show was like formative because we were in grade ten, grade eleven when that came out, and yeah. just every night, like the night, the day after when the episodes had come out, and like either you had MTV Canada and could watch it, or you would download it, like with Napster, the next day <laughs> uh, at your computer lab at school, like I used to do. <laughs> like it was just revolutionary. Like, yeah, yeah, it was a big deal in high school. Love that show. And yeah, we, and now it's coming back. So we, we, you guys to think. we reference it to this day. So it was just, it was fascinating to hear that conversation because again, <laughs> it was just like our generation was not a part of it, and it was like, but but oh okay. That was real anthropology. Like we're the people being studied by you know <laughs> two people on either. And it was of us. just it was funny the way that I don't know you and Elizabeth maybe didn't understand some of the things that are so ingrained for it us. Is, that are it is so very funny. much of like two thousand two, two thousand three. Like it's. It's very much like the celebrity culture of that time and the way that TV shows worked yeah. on MTV at that time. Yeah. And if you weren't watching them, then you have no idea. <laughs> uh, well, well Elizabeth was born in 2002. So it's like this wow. is exactly when uh, I was in a baby fog, mm-hmm. not consuming any pop culture. But anyway, you were not the only millennials who were shocked and appalled by our lack of knowledge. <laughs> I wasn't. <laughs> I, I would not say appalled. It was fascinating. Um, but because, like, why would either of you have ever come across this show, right? It, it, it wasn't popular enough to get more than, what, like, 10 episodes? No. And it got it canceled too early? It, it was, like, 13 Yeah, it has a whole first season. Yeah. But that's, that's and it got canceled because of Gandhi. Yeah. Right, right. So, yeah, we need we needed to we need to just address the Clone High episode. Yeah. It was, address the controversy. <laughs> was that a controversy? Again, I wasn't appalled. It was just it was fascinating. Yeah. Um, anyway, very similar to Clone High is the works of Jane Austen. Yeah. I'm surprised she didn't. I'm surprised she's not a character on Clone High. Oh yeah, she isn't, is she? Yeah. Can't think of. I can't think of like if there's even a cameo because there's a lot of. Cameos. There's a lot of weird cameos, yeah, and there's a couple authors, but no Jane Austen. Yeah. I mean, she was kind of a boring person in real life, though. Mm-hmm. Like, her life was not that glamorous. Mm-hmm. She just lived at her sister's house in a little cabin, mm-hmm. so. So we wanted to record this episode for Valentine's Day, and we thought, like, right. this is great. Bridgerton is so popular. Like, for some reason. Everyone, we will get to that, everyone is interested in Jane Austen, and... And we had this plan like early January, and then I discovered 
that Bride and Prejudice is an exceptionally difficult film to get your hands on at this point. Someone's it, trying to bury it. It used to what, be. What is happening here? Who, it, who, who, hurt, who was hurt by this movie? It used to be on Netflix, but it no longer is. And so there was only one DVD copy at the library. And there were four holds on it. So there was a no way it would come in time. So as soon as it came, we snatched it. We both watched it. And now... We are finally here to record our Jane Austen episode. Though I will say, I don't think interest in Bridgerton has waned. No. So I feel like we're still topical. Yeah, we sure. did. Oh yeah. Yeah. Do you try watching that show? No. <laughs> but I don't watch anything. That's why I'm like I'm I'm uniquely unsuited to be on your show actually because I don't even no, watch but... movies. I listen to podcasts about <laughs> movies. That's my cultural um, literacy. Um, mode but uh uh no i did not watch bridgerton but you've read some jane austen novels i have read a fair amount of jane austen yes which is why we invited you to be on this episode and matt you've read every one yep i've only read emma so i guess as the as the as the Austin skeptic, I think what? I'm the one that doesn't. <laughs> skeptic. Like, I think I'm the one that doesn't like her work as much. I, I turn to you to to tell me what you like about Austin and and about the works that you've read. And just Matt, you are the. What's your problem, Matt? You're the literature guy. Jump in yeah. here and explain Austin. <laughs> okay, so, my, like you like Wuthering Heights and stuff. So like that's not like the 19th century literary scene is not something. That you're into a little bit. You're supposed to be talking about Jane Austen. I know, but like, so if you look at Jane Eyre and Wuthering Heights and then uh, Sense of Sensibility, Pride and Prejudice, you basically have the building blocks for every, every romantic movie or comedy or anything that's ever came afterwards. Like, mm-hmm. they, they established all of the sort of archetypes that you would get and situations and ways that things resolve 200 years ago, and no one has done it better. Mm-hmm. And Bollywood, I think a lot of movies, probably unconsciously, or maybe because that marriage is a bigger part of society there, like they, they unconsciously reference this sort of world all the time. Mm-hmm. And it feels, it feels more relevant there, I think, in Hindi cinema than it does in American cinema a lot of the time because Americans just forgot how to make romantic comedies. Something that they were the best at in the entire world for a long time. And then the you know 50s and 60s, then it kind of went downhill. Well, it's too think, bad because romantic comedies are good. I think also the way, I think also because family is so, so important to Indian culture and is so important mm-hmm. to Bollywood cinema, that yeah. that's another reason why, why... Austin kind of makes sense, but surprisingly, there's only about three adaptations of Jane Austen that kind of through an Indian lens. Um, Jane of, Austen specifically, right? But you can find many movies where the the relationship between the characters could be, you know, Elizabeth Bennet and mm-hmm. Mr. Darcy, or um, oh, the Dashwood Sisters, or something like that. Like there's and Emma especially, like. There's a lot of movies like this with similar stories that maybe unconsciously are referencing this like four times removed. Mm-hmm. But do you want to talk about your relationship with these books? Why you read them? What okay. you like about them? Well, I guess I, I I came to Austin late in life. I had never read a Jane Austen book until junior English. 
and I had to read uh, Pride and Prejudice, and I really, really liked it. So I decided to write my big kind of paper for the semester on it. And funny, I, I went to the library to pick up the Cambridge Companion to Jane Austen. I thought, oh, this would be a good place to start. And I, I looked at the, the list of people who'd written the book, and oh, the afterword is written by my professor. Oh, <laughs> I guess I should probably do a good job with this. This is uh, Bruce Stovall, so Grant Stovall's dad. You probably know Grant, okay. right? Uh, yeah, uh, from CKUA, right? Yeah. So his father taught me about Jane Austen. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. And it, it was just a great sort of getaway from um, what I thought was the grind of school life at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, real life came along later and has been much more grinding, I think. But uh, <laughs> I felt at the time like, oh, papers and oh, drinking all the time. This is so <laughs> this is so difficult. Why am I putting myself through this? And reading Jane Austen novels just kind of cheered me up. And I have a theory that uh, more men should read Jane Austen novels because if you want good, uh, like, male characters and male archetypes, typically the main guy in a Jane Austen novel is a rich genius who's always right. <laughs> like, the, like, if you're Mr. Darcy or uh, the guy from him, I forget his name, but, like, that guy mm -hmm. is, like, the most... Uh, wonderful person in the world essentially and it only it takes a while for the girl to notice right like how is this not wish fulfillment do you think reading jane austen was where you discovered an interest or an appreciation for romantic storytelling because i do think that you you have that like more more than you would expect from kind of a cis white man of, you know, a millennial cis white man who plays video games and builds models of robots. I mean, robots are very romantic as well. No, I think, um, <laughs> I think I probably, you get to, so it's going back to the, the lack of romantic comedies in American films. Mm -hmm. I think where those sort of fun interactions continued on was in action movies Specifically, like Raiders of the Lost Ark, right. Indian Marion, or Romancing the Stone, or that kind of thing, where the fun banter between the main characters while they're shooting people or whatever, like that's another just enjoyable part of the movie. And like I, I think I always liked that sort of thing, or Han and Leia in Star Wars, right. like that sort of interaction and kind of a meet cute or uh, more like a screwball comedy where it's getting the couple back together, that kind of thing. I, I always like that sort of thing. And then I realized like, Oh, I don't even have to, like I could read a book about this. Or... There's a whole genre of just that. Yeah. Like I, I, I've only read a few like quote unquote romances. And this was also probably because of university, but just the thing about classic literature is that they were basically good at every emotion. Mm. So <laughs> Like Jane Austen books are very funny a lot of the time and very cutting and very like perceptive of human nature. And while they're, you know, romance stories, you also learn a lot about life in general. So I think that's why I gravitated to it. And then Bollywood is all romantic comedies all the time. So yeah, uh, I just, I, I like that part. I, too. I that's probably how I got one of the reasons I like Bollywood. Yeah. Fair enough. I just, I, I think, I still think to this day, we don't, you know, it's a stereotype that men aren't interested in quote unquote chick flicks and, you know, you have an appreciation for that. So I was just wondering, you know, did it stem from Austin? But I guess it stems just from banter. 
I love a good banter. <laughs> Karen, what about what about you? You've read a fair amount of Austin as well. Yeah, I think that I probably came to it around the same age that Matt did, maybe a little bit later or earlier, rather, like in my late teens, like in high school and then into university. And I was just, I think it just came in front of me as a voracious reader. Like I'm going to read the next thing that is one of the great books. But um, yeah, I definitely went through a phase in my late teens, early 20s of of reading a lot of Jane Austen. And um, I think for me, because I'm quite a bit older than you guys, as we have established, um, that also happened at the time when there was a bit of an Austen renaissance in Hollywood. So um, that's around the time that an Austen-like kind of thing. So Sense and Sensibility with Kenneth Branagh and... and um, Emma Thompson. Emma Thompson, yeah. Yeah. And before that, like like a lot of merchant ivory kind of stuff that's like uh, in that realm, like even if it's if it's more Forster and stuff, it's like still like that kind of thing. And uh, my best friend, Lorna, really liked those books and movies, too. So it's kind of like that was what we did for a long time was read and watch that kind of stuff. Um, I'm not actually a romantic comedy kind of person. Like what I like about those books is how um, perceptive, like you were saying, uh, they are about social mores and how people get along with each other or don't get along with each other and how smart everybody is in the books. Like they're just intelligent and funny and interesting um, to spend time with and also imperfect. Right. They mm-hmm. they they are um, even the guys that are aspirational and you think like we're just kind of waiting for uh, Elizabeth or Emma to come to her senses and realize that he was there all along. They're kind of jerks, too, at the beginning. Right. That they mm-hmm. have to grow <laughs> as well. Yeah, it's true. Well, I <laughs> tried to read Pride and Prejudice in I want to say I want to say junior high. I don't even. So you started to. I think I think maybe that was my issue because Mm. when I was younger, I only wanted to read classics. I thought modern books held nothing of interest for me. Just trash. She's miming, throwing them in the trash. I was only (laughs) interested in in stuff that was considered good, stuff that was considered classics, and so I'd read. That's very bourgeois. But I mean, you know me. It was very pretentious. And also, like, oh, someone said this is good. Better be good. Well, yeah, like, I I fully admit that, like, I was pretentious as a child. <laughs> and so I, you know, I've read every single Oz book. I love Little Women. Like, I just thought, How like... you love Little Women and then Pride and Prejudice didn't work? Well, I tried to read Pride and Prejudice and I just, I found the way it was written annoying. Mm. <laughs> I didn't like how everyone was always referred to by like their last name instead of their first mm-hmm. name. I found that really turned me off. And so I, I never read it and I never picked it up again, even though I've seen many movie versions of it. Uh, I eventually read Emma in university just for fun. I, Cause you love clueless. I, too. I was not assigned it, but I love <laughs> clueless so much. Clueless has been one of my favorite films since I was a child. And I like when I was a kid and that movie came out, I had no idea that it was based on Jane I don't Austen. I many people did. Like, it's not like it's the marketing. 
It's very obvious, though, now. It is obvious if you know what Emma is, but it's not like, here's a modern I take mean, on Emma. It's more like... People knew at the time when the film came out. Yeah, but, but like, it's not marketed that way, though. No. It's like, here's a bunch of cool teens with sexy clothes. Right. Yeah. And it was, I mean, and that was, I could I could talk about clothes endlessly, but Clueless started <laughs> a whole um, resurgence of teen cinema. Yeah, 10 Things I Hate About You. As well as... Romeo and Juliet. Yes, as well as taking classic literature and adapting them to the teen environment. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it all all starts with Clueless. Uh, But I didn't didn't know. I was like, what, like seven or eight when Clueless came out? I had no idea what Emma was. Should have read more when you were seven I knew what Little Women was. You should have looked into it. Uh, So still to this day, the only one I've read is Emma. But I I do quite like Emma. And I, you know, I, I should probably give Austin... The literature another chance because I do quite like a lot of the movies. I think there's a lot of excellent She's movies. only got like five books. You could just, they're all in one book over there. You can knock it out in the course of the summer. <laughs> but I do think that they're like, there have been a lot of excellent movies made from Jane Austen novels. And yeah. Karen, you mentioned Sense and Sensibility, the Ang Lee film, which I just think is absolutely incredible. Uh, I, I, I like both the BBC version of Pride and Prejudice. I quite like the Joe Wright version of Pride and Prejudice as well with Kira Knightley and James McAvoy. I think that one's really good. Uh, I love Whit Stillman's Love and Friendship. That's the best. Maybe. Have you seen Did you see Love and Friendship? Well, it came out, what, maybe four years ago, five years ago? I know you don't watch a lot of movies, Karen, but if you're going to if you're going to watch one, highly recommend Whit Stillman's Love and Friendship. It's an adaptation of Austin's Lady Susan, which, which was is, one of her juvenilias. Which is also right. unfinished. Yes. And it is it, Whit Stillman just gets Jane Austen, doesn't well, he? Well his his like American movies are basically Jane Austen stories just in America in the eighties and nineties okay. or in Barcelona. Right. Like it's that sort of genteel backbiting like everyone's kind of bitchy all the time but they're too polite to actually do anything rude mm-hmm. so it's just having bon mots and uh, going to parties all the time <laughs> yeah but lady susan is um oh it's chloe seven is the friend and who's the kate beckinsale kate beckinsale so they were both in the last days of disco together this is the most like white person shit ever <laughs> but uh during the pandemic matt and i we watched all the wit stillness watched the entire yeah his entire filmography in chronological order we'd already seen a good chunk of them but we caught up with the ones we'd never seen before so like yeah, we're just itching to talk there's about like, There's only like five of those. So you could do it pretty quickly. Yeah. Anyway, Kate Beckinsale <laughs> is this woman named Lady Susan who is known for romancing other people's husbands. And she's essentially like like a hurricane comes to your town. Like, oh, Lady Susan's going to show up and like <laughs> yeah. screw up this whole neighborhood just by all the men falling all over themselves. And uh, the best part about that is that there's this guy who's very stupid and... Um, like, he doesn't know what peas are, for instance. They're eating peas, and he's like, what are these little green balls? I, I like the taste of them. And he's, they're like, well, they're peas. And he's like, oh, capital, never heard of them. Wonderful. <laughs> or he's wondering, like, this house is named Churchill, so I looked for a church and a hill, and I couldn't find I didn't realize them. it was all one word. He's like, like, oh, Churchill. Churchill. You say it like that, right? Like, Churchill. <laughs> yeah. So, it's great. Like, one of cinema's great dullards great <laughs> it's very very, very stupid it. very very funny i also think the the read it i also think the recent adaptation of emma that came out great. last year by uh, autumn de wild is excellent yeah and i say this as someone who like loves clueless uh, 
I really, really enjoyed it. I just wish that there was a good Northanger Abbey movie right. instead of all these good Emma movies because Northanger <laughs> Abbey is like... That's your favorite one. Well, it's about how pop culture drives people crazy because the main character, she reads all these um, gothic novels and then she goes to meet a guy who lives at Northanger Abbey and she thinks like, oh, I'm going to going to this spooky abbey, someone's going to ravish me, like there's an evil monk or a skeleton. And she keeps getting worked up about all these things she's read in books, and like she just keeps getting told, like, oh, no, like, that skeleton's, don't worry about that skeleton, it's fine. So, <laughs> but, like, you see people like this all the time who just get completely wrapped up in fictional stories, and then when they encounter something real, it's just like, oh, this isn't, this isn't like what I saw in a Marvel movie. Mm-hmm. This is not what it's like to... Shit, that's a terrible example. <laughs> like, but the- well, but it's interesting because there are Austin movies that are just that are that exact thing of people wanting to like escape to yeah the Jane, Jane Austen book club or yeah Austin and Land. Austin Land Lost yeah. in Austin, which I referenced in the yeah. the opening. Well, okay, again, very white people stuff, but like it's a very attractive place to pretend that you live in. Yeah, it's just interesting that Especially now. that's clearly a thing and yet no one has tried to do Northanger Abbey. Yeah. I <laughs> so, don't know why. You you have to get the Abbey first, so that's kind of expensive. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm curious on what everyone's favorite Austin film is. I think it mine is I mean it's obviously clueless, but for a more straightforward adaptation I'd probably say Sense of Sensibility. I think that movie's amazing. Love and friendship for me. It was fantastic. Karen? Like I haven't actually seen that many of them so but you saw um, some of them <laughs> i did see some of them i i'm gonna actually say aisha i really wow. enjoyed that movie oh. nice <laughs> yeah. All right, i did then. see clueless back in the day in the theater because i am old uh and i did like it but um i haven't seen it since it came out whenever whatever ancient year that was um yeah i i, I enjoyed aisha has Elizabeth cool. like read any Jane Austen? She seems like a reader. Yeah. You should show um, her Clueless and then see if she gets it that like, oh, this is actually an Austen adaptation without like no. her well, looking up on Wikipedia she, or whatever. <laughs> but everyone knows I, that. I now. should I should confess that she she actually refuses to read Austen. She is a reader. What? But <laughs> she has read a little bit of it and decided she had that same reaction that you did. I think, and mm-hmm. she probably tried around the same time that you did, Erin, in, in junior high. And she just decided she didn't like it. Um, and I can't get her to, and I know you're disappointed, Mac. I'm extremely disappointed. She... <laughs> you're more disappointed in Elizabeth than you are in me. Yeah, I am, actually. <laughs> but this is why Karen is here solo today. Yeah. Oh, that this makes a lot more sense now. Um, like she's gonna take junior English at some point, though, so she'll have to read something. Maybe. maybe Has she seen any of the movies, though? No. Huh. No, I don't think so. So she she wouldn't watch the movies with me because she said like I just don't like it. She also really doesn't like romantic comedies, and oh. some of it is because it's just it's it's so heterosexual that she just really yeah, is not that interested. That. That's yeah. yes. Yeah, that's that's one of the things. Like, yeah. Um, it, yeah it, that, when, I, when you're when you're thinking about living in Jane Austen world, like it's good if you're a uh, heterosexual white person, but if you're anything else, your life is pretty miserable. I'm actually surprised <laughs> that I cannot think of any LGBTQ2S plus takes on Austen. I am sure there are some out there. It's got to be some sort of Mr. Um, Darcy riff. 
Yeah, I, I like Mr. and Mr. Darcy. That that I, would be a movie. Right I can't there, think see? of any, and I'm actually this surprises me because you would think that would be you know like I can think of so many different kind of cultural and and gender takes on on Shakespeare, but I can't think of anyone mixing up Austin in that way. And so I'm sure with women as the main characters in all these books too, like it should have a lesbian version. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that there are some out there. I mean, there's a version with zombies, which, I mean, also, like that, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies was popular enough, it also got made into a movie. And Sense yeah. Sensibility um, and Sea Monsters. And I've, I've seen Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, and I will say, it's not a terrible adaptation of Pride and Prejudice, a book I've never read, but I read, seen many I, versions of. No, I, I, I mean, I read, I read the book when it came out, because I was working at the comic book store then, and it's basically like, just take line from Pride and Prejudice and then yeah. tweak it. Like it, it is actually pretty close to the original because it's it's a public domain. Riff, yeah. Right? Anyways, it, I just think it's bizarre now that I think about it that I can think of like a zombie version. Yeah. How of Pride come and there isn't Pride and Prejudice and gay people? They had zombies. <laughs> um, I'm I'm sure there are some out there. It's just interesting to me that I, you know, with all the pop culture culture knowledge i have i can't think of one off the top of and my head and also they're all public domain like people could just be making yeah you know their own versions of this all the time for free yeah mm-hmm. so karen you mentioned uh that when you were a teenager there was kind of like an austin moment yes. i think we're living in another austin moment i really mm. do because we had emma come out early in 2020 it was actually the last movie that matt and i saw in theaters with your brother oh, wow. who hated it <laughs> Yes. And his and his partner also hated it. And it was like, well, whatever. I don't give a shit. I thought about it was a think about anything. I thought it was a wonderful film. Bill Nye doing funny jokes all the time. What more do you need? Well yeah, Julianne likes Another love. very dumb guy saying dumb things. Julianne likes Love Actually, so I kind of thought like that there would be yeah. crossover there. That's anyway. a trash movie. Love actually. <laughs> I don't like Love Actually, but I thought I thought it would be that she would be They reacted in it. like like you'd shown them a snuff movie or something like. I don't think that's quite. How no, it's like it's like why did you make us watch this movie? Like, I don't know. Did you not think about what this movie is going to be? Did you not look at the trailer? They they just seem shocked and like surprised. <laughs> okay. Anyways, I think we've been. I think we're living in an Austin moment. So yeah. yeah. Last year Emma came out, um, but even before that, I think leading up to kind of. You know this moment. I love think and we're friendship in. is yeah. The time. Love and friendship. The whole Lizzie Bennet diaries thing yeah. on YouTube stuff like Lost in Austin and Austin Land, and now this like huge and obviously like stuff I'm referencing like goes back at least like ten years. Like, I think like, even I just, Downton Abbey kind of people just like period pieces that yeah. even though that's a hundred years later. I just think we're kind of reaching maybe like an apex of an Austin moment that's been building for a while, and the apex seems to be. Bridgerton, which is not based on any of Jane Austen's literature, but is clearly trying to be like a modern, saucy, Austen-adjacent thing. The woke version. And everyone seems to love it. And Matt and I watch one episode and we're immediately like, this is not for us. It sucked. (laughs) It's terrible. Like, it's sexy, sure. And it does... What it, it... what it does is um, it kind of has colorblind casting. So, which I like the hot guy, he's black. Like, that's yeah, great. I, I appreciate that. I, I think when adapting classic literature, because so many properties have been done so many times, I always ask myself, like, okay, why? Why do this? Mm-hmm. What, what's the reason? And I think often making, make, like, adapting it in a way that reflects the diversity of, of 
I was going to say contemporary society, but we've always had this diversity, but adapting in a way that is that shows that the world is as a diverse place, I think is always a good reason to do it. I think there's mm-hmm. clear characters in it too, which is great, but like... The I just thought is, the writing was bad. Yeah, the writing was awful, and the show from earlier 2020 called The Great, which is about right. Catherine the Great and her adventures in Russia, did the colorblind casting, and I think there was a queer character, too. Like, it did all that stuff so much better mm-hmm. that Bridgerton just seemed like an afterthought to me. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, it's yeah clearly very popular, but for some reason we couldn't get past the first episode. <laughs> yeah, so... I don't think it's I don't think it's a Karen show. No, not that you have the <laughs> well, time. Well, that thing is though. Yeah. I don't watch anything, so it's. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we'll leave it there and break. Yeah, let's go to interval. Uh, so our interval song is uh, "By the Way" from Aisha, which uh, yeah, pretty good songs in that. Yeah. Is this the tango it's, dancing um, one? I'm a Trivetti. Yeah, I'm a Trivetti. Yeah. That's good. Which one is it though? Uh, oh no! This is the um, the song that plays at the beginning when she's driving to the wedding. Oh right, uh, yeah. which I liked because I think it has a very clueless vibe. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we'll we'll see you on the other side of that. By the way, on the way. With Pod Power, our sponsors are making it possible for us to amplify the voices of Albertans and Alberta podcasters. This episode, Edmonton Community Foundation is helping us give a Pod Power shout out to Is This For Real? Is This For Real is a podcast about various facets of black life in Edmonton. In the first season of the show, Breaking the Blue Wall, hosts Umar Salafu and Hanan Mohammed explore anti-black racism and policing and tell stories about policing in schools, accountability in Alberta's policing system, and the impacts of police violence on black Edmontonians. You can listen to the podcast and read more about each episode at isthisforreal.ca. You can also support the work of these podcasters and future seasons on Patreon. Looking for a way to give back? ATB Cares makes it easy for all Albertans to support the causes they care about. Donate to your favorite charity through ATB Cares, and ATB will match 20% of every dollar donated to eligible Albertan charities. To learn more and donate, visit atbcares.com. So that was, by the way, from Aisha, which we will get to in a little bit. Uh, But first, we're going to be discussing Bride and Prejudice. And I guess I will just get this out there. This is not a Bollywood film. No. Uh, this is often called a Bollywood film. Often people tell me that it's the only Bollywood film they've seen, but it does not <laughs> it does not count as and I see I see it referred to as a Bollywood film everywhere online. Uh does not count as a Bollywood film for reasons that I think our listeners are probably already aware of, but it's, that we it's like can a US film with a lot of Hindi actors. In yes. It. it came out in 2004. It is directed by Gurinder Chada. It was her follow up from Bend It Like Beckham. Great movie, by the way. I love Bend It Like Beckham. Gurinder Chada is a director from the UK. She is of Indian descent, but the majority of her films are 
British films. They're in English and made within the British film industry, not within the Indian film industry. Yeah. Uh, she's, her stuff's been pretty popular. Bend It Like Beckham's probably That was her, a huge hit. Her biggest film. It was a huge hit. She My followed, mother really liked that movie. Yeah. Well, and your mom <laughs> loves her latest film, Blinded by the Light. Yeah. yeah. Which I was not, I was not taken with. Uh, did incredibly well at Sundance, sold for a ton of money. Uh, and people are very excited because Gurinder Chadha hasn't had a hit um, as big as Bend It Like Beckham since Bend It Like Beckham. Uh, so I know a lot of people really love that that movie. Your mom loves that movie. I'm not big on it. Before that, she did Viceroy's House, which I thought was a shockingly <laughs> sympathetic portrayal of Lord Mountbatten and the partition of India, <laughs> which yeah. I that didn't was, go too well. <laughs> I, I did not think was very good. Uh, she did an adaptation of Angus Thong's and Full Frontal Snogging as well. Uh, I, I'm not crazy about her work, though I do, I do quite like Benda Like Beckham. Have you seen any of these other films, Karen? I haven't, but when I, I think this came from the interview in the, in the, the, the must have come from the interview in, in the um, DVD. Uh, she she said that she makes films for the diaspora, mm-hmm. and I thought that was very interesting. That 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 it is, uh, it is not for. Well, there there the the Indian diaspora is so vast, mm-hmm. and which creates maybe a, a massness of it, like a sort of a I don't know lowest common denominator, maybe in a different kind of way than in some other places. So. Yeah, it's trying to appeal to a bunch of different people at the same time. Yeah, yeah and and a lot of her work does focus on South South Asians living in the diaspora, as as you see with the the one character in Bend It Like Beckham. Yeah, um, who I guess is the lead. Everyone remembers Kira Knightley from that film. Uh, so that's yeah. Gurinder Chadha. Uh, this film stars Ashwarya Rai. Uh, who would go on to make another film with Miranda Chatter, Mistress of Spices. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, you know, it was very much maybe one of the first times that, uh, you know, people outside of India or people who don't watch Indian films saw Ashwarya Rai. Well, so you can see how that was exciting. Because she was Miss Universe around this time, right? Like, this is probably her agent or somebody says, you got to get into American or British movies and get your face out of mm-hmm. there. And then she comes back to India. Well, and- she was established in India by... Yeah. By the time this film was made. Yeah. But this is like her push at like world stardom, mm-hmm. which I think Priyanka does better later on. Yeah. Yeah. And she, she also, Ashraya Rai also is in one of the Pink Panther films. I assume it comes later though. I don't know. I don't, I should have looked this up. I must. This was, this was the film that led Roger Ebert to declare she was the most beautiful woman in the world. Hmm. And his review of this movie is basically about yeah, there was a movie. It was okay. She's so beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and Eber would go on to be a big champion of Tall. Yeah, because he. Yeah, that's another one with her. And uh, if you liked, uh, if you liked her in this movie, check out Tall. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, anyways, along with Ashraya Rai. That's the one we watch with Fonda. Yes. Yeah. Uh, there's so she's she's playing the Elizabeth Bennet character. Martin Henderson is our Some Mr. Guy. Darcy. He has. <laughs> No personality. He's just a guy. Uh, Anupam Kher and Nadira Babar are her parents. Uh, and then rounding out the cast are a few familiar faces. Naveen Andrews. From Lost, apparently. A show I watched the first episode of and just kind of just blew right past yeah. me. I think that came out right as I was in 
high school and I was going to university and like I didn't have time to watch TV. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Indira Varma, who is known for playing uh, a woman who always gets murdered on HBO. <laughs> she's usually the main character's wife. So she's in Luther. Game of Thrones. In Game of Thrones, she gets murdered. Luther, she gets murdered. And in Rome, she's the main character's oh, yeah. wife. And she also gets murdered. She also in gets that. murdered. <laughs> so I like Indira Varma a lot, but like she generally does not make it through the course of a film. So yeah. it was nice that she didn't get murdered in this. <laughs> Yeah. It would have been a real shock. And and Naveen Andrews and Deer Varmer are uh, Martin Henderson, the, the Mr. Darcy character they're here. They're the Bingleys, aren't they? Yeah, they're his friends from the yeah. UK who have brought him to India. Unfortunately, Alexis Bledel is also in this film, uh, proving to everyone that she never knew how to act. Uh, and there's a cameo <laughs> from Ashanti. Uh, yeah, did she think Gilmore Girls was like a documentary about her life? And she... I don't know. I loved Gilmore Girls, too, but, like, Alexis Bledel, outside of Gilmore Girls, I don't know. <laughs> Mad Men and... Uh... Even in Gilmore Girls, she's... Yeah. yeah. Did you watch Gilmore Girls, Karen? I did not. Oh. I, I never watched anything, but <laughs> I knew I knew who she was because of that show, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah I famously don't think Alexis Bledel can act. <laughs> ah. <laughs> she doesn't have she a lot to have do a lot. No, there was not a lot of uh, anything for her to do in this but yeah fair enough fair enough she really didn't have to do much so also ashanti uh, is in this movie <laughs> yes I talk about 2004 a, though right a cameo from ashanti <laughs> yeah uh so the basic plot which i won't get into too much because i feel like everyone knows the plot of pride and prejudice apart from uh, elizabeth uh, <laughs> who right. probably should read it at some point <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, so it's a modern take on Pride and Prejudice. Uh, here our Mr. Darcy character is a white man from, oh no, sorry, he's not from Britain. He's from the U.S. He's American. His friends are English. His friends are English. And his hotel is all over the world. Mm -hmm. So he comes to India, I believe to Amritsar. I think uh, so, yeah. Where the Golden Temple is, uh, with his friends and they find themselves at the, at, at a big Indian wedding. And there he meets Ashwarya Rai. She is our Elizabeth Bennett character. And she is in a family with a lot of girls. And her parents are really trying to marry off these girls. And they they don't get along. Uh, Ashwarya Rai and Martin Henderson. Well, it's a uh, classic sort they, of... They bounce off of each other. Yeah, they, they, they bounce off of each other. They, they clash. But through she thinks that social... he's kind of like, like not poverty porn slumming it, but he's just kind of like going to India and like thinking that everything's exotic and not really mm -hmm. wanting to. Like he goes to Goa and they party there, but it's not. He doesn't really care about actual India. Yeah, but that's what she thinks. Yeah, but kind of through social events, they keep having to cross paths, and meanwhile, you know. Her sisters are falling for guys. Her friends are falling for guys. She's falling for a guy. But we know that he's not the guy for her. He's yeah, totally he's, a cat. Wickham, Wickham. He's and awful. eventually, we the story takes us out of India and to the U.S. and to the U.K. And everything ends happily ever after. That's they go what, on the London Eye? That's my description. <laughs> that must have of, just come out. They must have just finished building that. And like, oh, let's have a big sequence at the London Eye. <laughs> Yes, that's my description of the plot of Pride of Prejudice. Amazing. One of your better ones. 
Well, I just like I do. We really want to get. You can into, tell that you have a feel for the material. Do we wonderful. really want to get into all the the, the details about no, all the characters and the couplings and the uncouplings? No, it's okay. Um, but basically, it's just about it's about these two these two characters who are clearly meant for one another, um, but who you know like their egos get in the way. Yeah. Of, of being to one another. And then also about how <laughs> these poor parents need to marry off all of their daughters. And they need to try and marry their daughters up. Yeah, they got to try and find yeah. rich, rich husbands. So to start our discussion about this, I first want to discuss how it's not a Bollywood film. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a UK-USA-Indian co-production. But even though there are Bollywood actors in the film... Big ones. Ashraya Rai. And Anupam Kher. The biggest one. Yeah. And Anupam Kher... Uh, it's not made within the Indian film industry. It's not made within the Hindi film industry. So unlike films like Being Cyrus and Delhi Belly, which are in English, yeah. but made within the Hindi film industry, this is made, like Miramax put this out. Yeah. And so it's very much, I find it's very much like a Bollywood film for people who have never seen a Bollywood film before. Yeah, because I'm sure, uh, Karen, when you watch this, there's cut. Which one did you watch first? I watched this one first. So there's probably a bit of whiplash between Pride and Prejudice, Bride and Prejudice, and Aisha in things yeah. like the way that dance sequences are shot. Because yeah. Bride and Prejudice, it's shot the way you would do like a Broadway number. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Aisha, that's the typical way they do Bollywood numbers. And yeah. it's. It, it just kind of feels like a Bollywood movie from another dimension. Yeah, the way that the musical numbers are incorporated, um, and I should say that uh, Zoya and Fern Akhtar apparently wrote the lyrics for these songs, um, is that they do, like, so the way that musical numbers exist in a musical is that they propel the action forward, whereas in a Bollywood movie, it's just kind of like everyone stops for a music video. Yeah, every these, 10 minutes or so. Yeah. These actually propel the action forward, and the characters kind of reveal themselves uh, and kind of lines of dialogue through musical numbers, which just feels very different. It feels more Broadway than what we typically see or, you know, have come to expect in Bollywood. And we saw this, we actually saw this before we started the show. We just wanted to watch Ashwaya Rai movies. And it was a weird whiplash, but then it was early enough in our watching of Hindi films that it wasn't as much. And now like 400 movies later, it's just like, oh, wow, this is really weird. Mm-hmm. So I guess I'm just, I'm wondering how people feel about this experiment, because I, I think it is interesting for Chada to kind of take this well-known British novel, her culture, and, and the, but then also take kind of the filmmaking traditions of both of those cultures and try and bring them together. You know, I don't think she's trying to make a Bollywood film. I think she's trying to make kind of an amalgamation of something uh like you said karen in part for the diaspora yeah but i wonder if she's trying to make a movie for the diaspora but miramax was trying to make a movie for white people yeah because that's what it felt like to me it felt like that so like that the it was it was it was bled of its vibrancy (laughs) by Mm -hmm. trying to dumb it down for the likes of me right Mm -hmm. yeah and i think that's one reason why that's classic miramax too right yeah and that's one reason why i feel find the film unsatisfying and you even like 
see Harvey Weinstein in a cameo in the end. Yeah, (laughs) gross. Like, he's (laughs) he's on set. So, you know, and and we all know how Harvey Weinstein approached... um, Actresses. Sorry, that's not what I was going to say. But I was going to say, like, um, other cultural products. Like, he would often edit foreign language films down so that they could be more easily digested by North American Western audiences. And so I... I agree with you, Karen. I, I kind of feel like the project at times seems at odds with itself. And I just like, I don't think it, for me, it fully comes together into a satisfying film. But I have so many friends that love this movie. It's interesting because in broad strokes, I could see the way that the Bollywood version of this would work. Because starting in India, going to the States, well, starting in India, going to the UK, going to the States, going back to the UK... There actually is quite a lot of globetrotting in movies like this out of the Hindi cinema system. Mm-hmm. It's just, this is shot more like a Miramax movie from the 90s, which is, um, you know, like green sleeves or just all of these middle brow um, Oscar focused ones too. Because mm-hmm. I felt like they probably thought, oh, we can harness the Hindi system and the Hollywood system and make a movie that's going to be Oscar City. And they'll get, we'll have all these songs that we could put up for best song. And I don't think it worked. Mm-hmm. No. But there's a way that I could see this happening if someone, for some reason, wanted to remake this movie in the Hindi system. Like, it's actually, like, maybe just, like, 16% away. You could just tilt it in one direction and it would actually work. Well, I think one of the... You would have to get Martin Henderson out of Yeah, I think one of the biggest problems <laughs> is Martin Henderson. So how 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 does it fare as an Austin adaptation? He's no Mr. B- he's no Mr. Darcy. I mean, he's not... He might be one of the worst Mr. Darcy's I've ever seen. He's he, got to be, right? Yeah, because he's, so, he's just so flat and so dumb. And you can't understand what the attraction would be. You have to feel like a a push pull and you have to believe that Elizabeth feels or Lizzie or, 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 um, Lakani, what's her name? Lolita feels, uh, a a push pull to him, but there's nothing there. I, when I watched this movie, I thought this guy is like a soap opera actor, Mm -hmm. I bet. And he is. Yeah. How do they drop the ball so hard in this? Cause like, well, like he, most beautiful woman in the world, he can't even convincingly act like he's with in the love most beautiful with woman in the world. Ride. Like it's just, it's it's so yeah. Oh, and, but like Ashwari Rai and Anupam Kher, regardless of some political things I don't love about Anupam Kher, they're like amazing in movies. Yeah. They they do not phone it in. They're like their job is movie stars, and they always do it correctly. Yeah. And they're doing a good job in this. It's just you get this guy and Alexis Modell in the mix. And it's like, okay, well, they're basically acting. It's like when you see someone acting against a, uh, a tennis ball on a string when they're doing a CGI movie. <laughs> and like, Ashwari has got to be like, oh, tennis ball. Uh, <laughs> I can't help but be charmed by your brilliance. <laughs> He's the tennis ball. I think for me, yeah, this, this lack of chemistry between these two actors, is just like, it, it drags the whole film down. Like, I I don't think it does a bad job of kind of hitting the notes of Pride and Prejudice. You know, I like the way that Indian weddings are woven into it and, like, how when they have to, like, where in the book they would have gone to a ball, here they go to a big, like, Garba dance. Like, I think that's really interesting. And then you get to see them, like... The Dandia. Yeah, yeah. you get to see them dance Dandia. And I was like, oh, that's, like, 
through the if you're looking at it through the perspective of like making a movie for white people, I was like, this is these are some interesting kind of like cultural occasions, cultural events um, to, that that I think the film is kind of taking yeah. the opportunity to showcase. Um, yeah. And so I really I like that aspect of it. I kind of and I think you know like the family you know we've already talked about how family is so important and so central to Indian culture and to Indian cinema. And so you know it makes sense to kind of you know, make the Bennett's, you know, Indian and, and kind of, and, and show the struggles that, you know, like a modern Indian family find themselves in with having to marry off their four daughters. It's yeah. four, right? I think so. I always yeah, think it's four. five because. I think there's five in the book, but there's oh, four. In, okay. Uh, Perfect. Yeah, Matt will correct me if I'm wrong. But I, I always get confused yeah. if there's four or five daughters it's in Jane, Pride and Prejudice. Um, I, there's four in Little Women, so I think I always assume it's four. <laughs> and there's four in my family, which is part of why there I always go. think it's four. <laughs> I don't remember if it's four or five, but yeah. But I just like, I think that... Also, all the other sisters completely get short shrift in this movie because, like... Well, you still get what, like, whatever goes on with, like, this, is it Jane, right? Who She goes off the cad. No, not, no, Jane is the... Jane's the older one who she's yeah. trying to marry off to Naveen Andrews. Oh, okay. Uh, I think... L- Lydia? Hockey. Maybe it's Lydia. And then Mary's the one with all the accomplishments, which means she can play the harpsichord and things. Yeah. And she does the weird, like, snake dance, which is kind of funny. <laughs> but, yeah, like, not, most did... sisters don't get anything, though, in the movie. Really. I did not really understand this snake dance. Though. I don't think you're supposed to. I think it's, you're supposed to think it's exotic and weird. I, I think that there's a much better fit between the sort of um, family politics and comedy of manners in Pride and Prejudice and and, and an Indian setting uh, than some of the other things that there are. I wonder what what I what I, what I want to know from you guys is: Do you think? I would rather see uh, like a, an Indian adaptation of of Pride and Prejudice just set in like with all Indian actors. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I at first I thought, oh, that's kind of interesting to have like racism or at least oriental orientalism mm-hmm. layered on top of the snobbery that that Darcy apparently has. But I don't think it was interesting. <laughs> well, again, it was interesting in theory, I, think, I guess. Yeah, I think because he's he's such a weak character. Yeah, you know, he's just there. He's when he's angry, when he's sad. It's it's like when you look at those pictures of Darth Vader. Like, oh, Darth Vader's angry now. Not Darth Vader's sad. <laughs> Darth Vader's hungry. I, it's I, just the same face. When I think, like, when I when I think about like wanting to make a film for the diaspora, which. You know, Bollywood also does a lot. That's the whole kind of Karen Johar raison d'etre, you know, and that's what Kabi Kushi Kabi Gan is. You rarely see, um, you rarely see kind of characters of other races and and nationalities. It still tends to be all about kind of Indian people that just live in uh, in London. And if you do, they're, you know, they're, they're side characters and they're often very or actors. A lot of them are Norwegians and, for some reason and can't speak English. It's yeah. really weird. And that's, that's not or it's a, like a hot lady. And that's not a criticism I have of those films because they're films being made for Indian audiences. You know, obviously they should have Indian characters. But, you know, I imagine South Asian people who live, you know, in North America 
or in England, they don't exclusively just interact with other people who are South Asian. Do you know what's the better so version of this? I think, I think showing that integration, because we don't see that in, in Indian films about the diaspora. So I think yeah. showing that integration is interesting. I just think it's done very poorly here. The way that this was done better in a Hollywood production, which actually did really badly in its home country, is Crazy Rich Asians. Mm. Because that is a kind of Lizzie and Darcy set up all Asian people in Hong Kong and Singapore. Everyone's filthy rich going to parties all the time. It's not it's not a one-for-one one match, but it is a way that Hollywood kind of did this better. And it was by kind of leaning more into the uh, the Asian side than it was into the Hollywood side. Mm -hmm. But then they didn't like it in China anyway. So mm -hmm. it was too Hollywood for China. But mm -hmm. I thought that that was a better integration of this sort of adaptation of a rich people, you know, getting together sort of saga. Mm -hmm. Based on a different book, though. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just... Martin Henderson is so bad. It's an interesting experiment. Um, I... <laughs> It, it's weird, though, that I find that the most interesting male character in an adaptation of Pride and Prejudice is Mr. Collins. <laughs> he, he was the, the accountant guy who's like a big, yes. he's rude and he lives in the States. Quite and he goes, Yeah, like, and they go to his house and it's like kind of a McMansion out in the suburbs somewhere. And like, he's very impressed with it. And like, you, he is kind of endearing, actually, eventually. Yeah. He, he does not, he does not make a good first impression, but. I should not be more interested in that guy than <laughs> than Mr. Darcy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, kind of a um, tangent about me. I named it a really annoying guy who lived in a residence with me in university. I called him Mr. Collins because he was very much that sort of like trying to ingratiate himself all the time and kind of like nouveau riche type guy and i really hated him and um i just read pride and precious so just like there's a mr collins right there so like these things can be relevant in your everyday life you can you can insult someone right to their face and they have no idea what you're talking about um what did everyone have i'm curious what everyone's favorite song was uh, no Wife, No Life. Yeah, that's my favorite song. I love No Wife. Yeah. I, I'm not crazy about the songs in this film, but I love No Wife, No Life. Yeah. I, I did think the songs were bad, and I thought, I don't know that I have enough. Like, I, I haven't seen very many um, movies of, of any sort, but of, of uh, uh, Bollywood or, or Bollywood-adjacent ones, but they they seemed bad. Like, they seemed, yeah. like, like, dumb, right? Like, yeah. not... Like, again, like, just sort of watered down. Yeah. And, like, the Ashanti song was okay, I guess. Okay. The Ashanti cameo does not work at all because it's there to emulate the idea of an item number. Yeah. You know, where they have this, like, cameo performer like a hot lady. who shows up and just, like, performs and then they're, they're not in the movie anymore. But the movie doesn't, like, stop and show you Ashanti performing. You were supposed to pay attention to the story. It's at this just point kind too, of something like... that happens in the background. It's very awkward. Yeah, it was very weird, and and they made such a big deal of it in the marketing stuff about it. And yeah. I'm just thinking, but you should have cut that part. Out. <laughs> like, yeah. it makes sense to me from a again from this kind trying to merge these two film cultures. And she was hot at the time. But it, it the execution and that's I I don't know. I guess I say that all about a lot of the films. Like again in trying to merge these two film cultures, 
it's a good idea, but the execution just falls flat. These songs are not that, they're not good. Yeah. And, 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 and Bollywood, the songs have to and be good. And the lyrics were written by Antar. So, yeah. like, they should have been a lot better. But maybe he phoned it in because he thought, oh, this is just a white people movie. Well, I, I don't no, they were written by that. Zoya Akhtar and Farron Akhtar. Okay. Um, not by Javed Akhtar. But also, like, I don't think it's, I think the mu- I think the, the problem with them is the music, not the lyrics. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But No Wife, No Life. I, I That's do, a fun I song. do kind of enjoy that one. Yeah. Because it's funny. Like, it's important to have... I don't know. I always like the funny stuff. Oh, I was going to say, I think you get, like, kind of, like, the sisters, like, you, you just, like, the family dynamic That's comes kind of across. the most that they all, like, uh, play off of each other is that song. The yeah. rest of the time, they're kind of separated. Yeah, like, the family dynamic comes across in that song. So I, I think that's also part of why it's fun. Yeah. Yeah, and, like, that, I think that the, the sisters, they all do have, like, there are, they have their own personality. They're interesting people for, to the extent that we get to spend very, very much time with them. Um, yeah, it, it's nice. Okay, anything left to say about Bride and Prejudice? I, I get why people like this movie. Yeah, like, if I you've do... never seen a Bollywood movie before, it's it's kind of fun. And it might in, it might make you want to seek out the filmography of Ashwarya Rai, which is always good. I don't know about Martin Henderson. Maybe. <laughs> He might have fluttered some hearts in his day. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'm I'm someone who I'm always interested in kind of different takes on the same story. This is why I never complain about like, oh, a new version of Little Women or like a new remake of such and such thing. Because I, I like, I'm always interested in how people remake and re-envision stories. And so I think, you know, if you are a fan of Jane Austen, if you're a fan of Pride and Prejudice, like this is an interesting take on it. And with the, ex- like, a lot of Jane Austen still is kind of, you know, with the exception of Clueless, a lot of it is still kind of, you know, period pieces. there's yeah. still period pieces. And so this is, this is fresh and interesting. And if you like musicals, you know, it has, it has a lot going for it. I just think it's like, it might work better as like a totally falls like apart <laughs> as a musical theater performance. Like Maybe. if you saw this on stage, it would probably work better. I actually thought that people who love Mamma Mia would love this movie. Oh, yeah. 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 I yeah. think that's fair. I also don't like Mamma Because <laughs> <laughs> it's just like the whole time I'm like, what is going on? Why is this happening? <laughs> Who's this girl's dad? Tell me now. <laughs> why are we listening to bad covers of ABBA? I yeah, love why, ABBA. <laughs> why can't we just listen to the, ori- the originals that are better? All right. So that, so that brings us to Aisha, which is... A modern adaptation of a Jane Austen novel, but made in Bollywood. This is a real Bollywood film. Yeah, so this is the Hindi industry's take. Yeah. So Aisha came out in 2010, directed by Rajshri Oha, uh, stars Sona Kapoor, Abhi Dale, Ira Dubey, Cyrus Shakar, Amrita Puri, and Arunadei Singh, one of my one of my favorite hates that guy's. Yeah. Uh, he played uh, Dhruv. And okay. he's kind of got the cauliflower ears. And every time I'm just like, hey, oh, I like that guy. He's, he's the cat. He's the cat. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there and, always has to be a cat. Oh, yeah. But the very muscular and yeah. to look at cat. <laughs> yeah. I wrote a day saying it's great. Um, and also, finally, Aaron's favorite, uh, Lisa Vatavaran Hayden. That's her official name now. Uh, so Aisha is the story of uh, Emma, basically, as we told her before. Mm-hmm. So Sonam Kapoor plays Aisha. And she is a rich girl who lives with her father. 
and she likes to meddle in people's affairs and try and hook them up and get people's marriages happening. Uh, Abbe Dale is her childhood friend. Um, she's He's definitely a friend of the family. They've known each other forever, and obviously they're meant to be together, but she hasn't noticed this yet because she's wrapped up in her own uh, love affairs. She just can't tell what a snack Abbe Dale is. Yeah. Let me tell you, big <laughs> snack. Uh, he's some kind Such of... Such a snack. He's a businessman in this. He wears like, he does nice business things. Armani suits the whole movie. And mm-hmm. he's he's really he's good friends with her father too, yeah. so like he's basically her brother in a like essentially yeah. he she, he's a part of the well family. in Clueless they literally make him her stepbrother yeah, her yeah. former stepbrother yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so into their life comes Amrita Puri who is a girl from Haryana who they what they meet at a wedding I think and. Aisha takes it upon herself to hook her up with one of the various, like, nouveau riche guys in India. Yeah, to give her, like, a... She becomes her project. To, yeah. Like, give her a makeover and try and matchmake her. She's, like, from the from a village. She doesn't have a lot of money, so Aisha's like, okay, well, I only know what it's like to be a rich person. <laughs> so, obviously, everyone wants to be like me, and I'm going to find whatever slob I can with a bunch of money and marry her off, because that's what she wants. That's what mm-hmm. that's what would be good for her. Um, <clears throat> even though, you know, she knows a guy that would be perfectly fine from the village, and <laughs> he's an accountant or something. Like he, he'd be a perfect match. Mm-hmm. Uh, so her best friend, Pinky, is kind of fed up with this game that they play. Um, she thinks that Aisha is basically playing with people's emotions and uses all her friends as, like, playthings. And she eventually gets fed up and leaves, they have a big blowout over one of these rich slobs that uh, mm-hmm. she's trying to hook people up with. Pinky was my favorite character. Um, I would have married her, sure. She's great. <laughs> um, she also thinks that she'll always be alone because she's only with Aisha and just hanging out all the time and never gets a chance to meet any guys. So, mm-hmm. um, But, yeah, essentially... This is a great plot description of Emma. I feel totally justified in my description of Brett. Essentially, Aisha I, tries I to get. These, I think these plots are actually like kind of hard to describe. Well, they're because elemental. It's just, yeah, it's just the, like watching people like couple and uncouple. Yes, they're elemental stories. Pride and yeah. Prejudice is a very smart but uh, kind of an asshole guy meets a very smart but kind of you know pretentious woman and they don't realize that they would work together and they have to work their way through yeah. this. Aisha, they've known each other their whole life. And I think... But she Abigail's... constantly thinks... It's about her constantly trying to, like, improve the life of everyone around her. Yeah. Without realizing, you know, that she's entirely full of herself. And really, it's her life that she needs to improve. Yeah. And also, the solution is very simple. Yeah. But, like, <laughs> it, yeah, it is it is character studies, right? Like, these are kind of uh, archetypal characters. The mm-hmm. the woman who meddles in other people's lives but doesn't realize that, you know, her she herself is unfulfilled. Yes. You know, Jane Austen invented these archetypes, and that's why she's so important. Yes. Yeah. Um, anyway, I like this movie. I thought it was really good. Yeah, and it's very much, I would say, both an adaptation, a modern adaptation of Emma, while also being somewhat loosely based on Clueless. I mean, I, I've sometimes seen this called Bollywood Clues, and it's not, I think it is more of an adaptation of Emma than it is of Clueless. For example, it's not set in high school. But it's got but it's got the fashion. It's got like the VW bug, yeah, and that sort of thing that feels very Clueless. There are elements that are clearly taken from Clueless. Yeah, like, you remembered a few scenes that came right out of it. Yeah, so like there's um, when Abbe Dale and Sonu Kapoor are like fighting on the sofa. 
That's 100% Alicia Silverstone and Paul Rudd. Wait, are you saying that they didn't have sofas and big screen TVs in Jane Austen's time? (laughs) No, there's like a whole scene where they're like watching Ren and Stimpy. Anyways, uh, and then when Amrita Puri brings over all of the mementos that she has from from Elton and they like destroy them, that's straight out of Clueless. Yeah. Um, I think that's also straight out of Emma. Oh, do they do that in Emma? Harriet does that too, yeah. She does like collect Um, weird stuff, yeah. Yeah. I don't know about the burning of it, but, like, she did have, like, a hope chest of weird things yeah. that, that he had on him. But so, all I'm trying to say is I think you can see that there are kind of elements of Clueless that inspire the film, but it does feel very much to me like an adaptation of Emma. It should, yeah. More than... <laughs> and I think I think it hits, like, all the right notes. I haven't read the book in recent recently, but I did see the the film adaptation last year and i again i feel like it hits it hits all the notes and it does it really like delightfully i i really like this movie (laughs) yeah what do you think karen i yeah i really enjoyed the movie a lot and i thought that yeah exactly hits all the 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 stations of the cross of emma where (laughs) the coupling and uncoupling and the passion of the the emma yeah i mean as with all makeover sequences, the person being made over was not ugly and did not have to be turned Her clothes didn't even look that bad either. <laughs> but that's kind of a trope that you can't get away from. Um, and I mean, maybe it's because I watched this right after uh, Bride and Prejudice, but the acting is good. Like, it's mm-hmm. it's so good. Yeah. Like, I believe these people and I believe their feelings and... And they're really funny and clever and interesting and dumb, like, in all of their appropriate times. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, this is a really great cast. Yeah. And, and it's all rich people, too. Like, that's that's something important for Jane Austen is that... The everyone, upper class? Yeah, everybody is upper class, but in this they can't, version... Because they can't have problems like, where is my meal coming from? Yeah, exactly. From? Yeah. Why... I can't go to work today. <laughs> like, they don't they do not do anything. But what's important is that Aisha shows what rich people everywhere were like in 2010, mm-hmm. which is just kind of going <laughs> to the club all the time and wearing similar clothes to what would be wearing in North America. Because, like, mm-hmm. rich people, upper class fashion is pretty straight across the board. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... It's not trying to over-Indianize the whole thing because it's an Indian movie. It doesn't need to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that, that that because we can assume there's not a Western gaze on this movie that's right. not playing to Apart it. from us, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it just seemed... I did have a, a questions about that because it was, uh, I don't know, a little bit racier than I was expecting. Like the, the there's drinking. I didn't mm-hmm. expect to see drinking. Maybe maybe that's a not unusual mm. to to they're see. They're smoking pot too. Yeah, I mean, yeah. which I did not understand that they were smoking pot and clueless when I saw it as a child. I mean, it's probably <laughs> racy for an Austin adaptation, but for a Hindi movie from 2010, this this is fine. This it's just not. Yeah, this this would be happening. We've kind of seen this trend in kind of the late 2000s, early 2010s in Bollywood of movies about young rich people in, yeah. in, in Delhi or Mumbai. Uh, we're mostly in Delhi here. Um, and so it was certainly very trendy uh, from what we can tell. And again, like very youthful. And I think, I think this is such a smart take or it's a, yeah, it's such a smart entry in that kind of 
that kind of cycle that mm-hmm. we've that we've seen um, because it's playing with the elements of Emma, which you know had been successfully modernized in Hollywood. So then, kind of then jumping it over to you know Bollywood, it just it feels it feels very natural. And I think Sonu Kapoor, who you know produced it, this was the one of this was the first film that she would produce and star in with her sister Rhea Kapoor. They are very savvy in kind of how to make movies that appeal to women. And so mm-hmm. the clothes mm-hmm. were like such a huge aspect. Amazing. When this film came out, I, I'm going to point out I own one of the dresses. <laughs> really? <laughs> that Which she one? wears. Um, she wears a well, little. She's sad and eating cake. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah. She's sad and eating ice cream. Um, she wears this like Betsy Johnson prom dress. Uh, I own that exact same dress. Though mine is not white on white, but blue on white and is a size zero and does not fit me anymore. <laughs> But like that, There's probably a size zero on her too. That dress was was trendy in 2010. Uh, you can see the same dress, uh, though a longer version, in uh, Sex and the City as well. Carrie Bradshaw wears it. That's why you bought yours. Uh, no, I bought mine because I found it um, at a consignment shop in San Diego for oh, right. like a crazy good Buffalo price. Buffalo Exchange. Yeah, crazy good price. <laughs> Does not fit me anymore. Um, but I the cl- yeah, the clothes are, are beautiful. I love the um, tree frog uh, dress that yeah. Pinky wears. Yeah, and like they have that. their big blow up. That's a really like striking yeah. dress. <laughs> oh, and they they're constantly saying that she dresses like really weird, but she has the best style of anyone in yeah. the film. Yeah, yeah, and 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 it's just it's cast so well, and you know, a lot of these people didn't actually do them any other movies too. Is the other thing because. The girl from Haryana and uh, Pinky, their filmography is not particularly uh, huge. Yeah, well, Ira Dubey is in Dear Zindagi. Yeah, she's um, her friend in Dear Zindagi. And Amrita Puri is a character in Former Shots, Please. Um, but Abbe Dale, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Abbe Dale and Sonia <laughs> Kapoor. And Arunade Singh for a little bit. And Lisa Hayden. Oh, yeah. Lisa Hayden has popped up in a lot of things. I think because people find her so delightful as that kind of as, but it's just, as it's just too bad that the two like uh two of the three main girls did not become stars right because mm-hmm. i like both of them mm-hmm. but i do think that like sona kapoor has an eye and and Rhea kapoor when the, so the projects they have produced are aisha kubsarat and virdi wedding which are all chick flicks they're all movies that like clearly appeal to women and are about women's stories, and I think are all like cast unbelievably well. I don't remember and, who the guy was of your D wedding, but like the, guy the guys Koops- aren't the guys aren't important in the, your the, wedding. The guy in Kupsarat is just smoking, right? Because that's Fawad Khan. Yeah, it's Fawad yeah. Khan, um, the Pakistani actor who has now been kicked chased, out of Bollywood, kicked out yeah. of Bollywood um, but who was absolutely incredible. Uh, and then the you know Swara Baskar in Beardy Wedding. You yeah. know, like I think they have such a. They, they clearly know how to, like, put together, I think, a really interesting and really compelling cast. Because what this film does so well that we did not get in Bride and Prejudice is just kind of, like, you instantly recognize these characters and their relationship with one another. And, like, they just, they all bounce off of each other so well. There's such chemistry among this entire cast. Yeah, I think that's right. And, and so, and that, as a result, none of the couplings or uncouplings seem weird mm-hmm. because you could see it right that there's nobody who's irredeemable there's nobody who's like terrible like the the guy cyrus sahukar who plays Ram, ramdeer mm-hmm. Ram, Ram, um 
who who is in love with Aisha, but she does not see him. Tries to she tries to manipulate him into falling in love with Shafali, the, the, That's the right, village Shafali. girl. Yeah, and uh, in in the end, he ends up with with um, Pinky. He's like you can see he's not a good match for Aisha, mm-hmm. but he's endearing, yeah. right? And so you're happy when he finds love. <laughs> he's, he's kind of a nerd and he's awkward, but Pinky kind of realizes what always the best friend usually does in a Jane Austen story is like, I don't have that much money. My friend is very rich, but I need to find someone and this guy will work. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He'll be fine. But he's also nice, yeah, right? He's, fine, he's, yeah. he's not he's not just a meal ticker ticket. He's weird. Um anyway, and I thought his performance was really good and he's yeah. not really an actor. He's like a VJ or something. Mm-hmm. So And he, it's also good that he kind of like looks a bit like Abbe Dale. Like yeah. they kind of have a similar look, but I think like the, those two performances like they're so clearly very different and distinct characters, but yeah. it just yeah. I like I like how they kind of had a similar and his, so you his, could just kind of see like two sides of kind of the same. His attempted proposal is also very funny. Oh god! <laughs> he, it must have taken him forever to string up, or or he just paid someone to do it. But just get to get this grotto with all of these lights hanging all over the place, and then she's just not interested whatsoever. No. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think of Abbe Dale, uh, Karen? Was he a snack? Well, he was a snack. Oh, um, he's so I cute. Did... I did think I actually at the beginning I wrote down like he seems like a bit more obnoxious than one should be for the mm. for the romantic lead like he just he's there, there, there's not a lot of redeeming features aside from his charm at the beginning but he he gets better and and I guess like that we are going through the same or at least I was going through the same journey that Aisha is going through it's like yeah. He's annoying. He's arrogant. He's always criticizing me. Oh. <laughs> There's a reason why he cares so much about what you do and why you act yes. like that. <laughs> well, and I think like you, you come to like him partly because of how much he clearly cares about Shafali and not because. Yeah, he's, uh, and it's not super obvious what he's doing. Either. Yeah. And it's not because he has a crush on her. You know, it's, it's, it's because he's just like a kind guy who sees this girl who's kind of out of her element, who's being kind of manipulated. And he knows this manipulation is coming from a good place, but he just kind of like, he sees everything for he what it is. He can read the room a lot better than Aisha can. On that. Yes. Yeah. 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 And he, you know, he's, he's clearly very kind to everyone. I don't, I can't tell if he's in a relationship with Lisa Hayden. They're just around. <laughs> I, uh, they also can't tell what they're doing. I mean, I do, I do. Hot people do kind of just gravitate towards each other. So maybe <laughs> exactly. it was like, it was just like an elemental force. I do, like, bing. <laughs> I do like the ultimate, uh, the ultimate kind of, uh, where the Lisa Hayden arc goes. The ultimate solution there, I think, is is very smart. <laughs> yeah. Although that has reminded me um, that in in Clueless, actually, they do they do make one of the characters gay. I just remembered mm-hmm. that. So we have one example of there we go. <laughs> of Austin not being entirely heteronormative. There, there's been queer readings on Austin forever, and yeah, the the reading would be that like, well. Pinky's in love with Aisha and could barely deal with her and then eventually just can't stand her and leaves. But like, that's the only reason why he'd stick around her so long. Same thing with Abbe Dale. Like, I do she's think... such, such a pain in the ass. They 
That's why her best friend is always around, because she loves her. I do think Sonu Kapoor, though, is really perfect in this role. And I, I'm not a huge fan of her as an actress. I think, actually, as a human being, I'm a big fan of her. Um, I think she's very outspoken. She's good in out too. And she's good in Beardy Wedding. She's good in movies that she produces she's for herself. She's good in yeah. movies that she produces for herself. I think maybe because she understands, like, her appeal. She, you know, she, she's, she's a an actress. Girl, yeah. She's an actress who appeals to other women. And, you know, Bollywood still so often focuses on 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 men, mm-hmm. you know, on, on the male gaze, on male stories. And so, but what, what she and Rhea Kapoor does is really make movies for women. Mm-hmm. She's also very good in Nirja, which I would point out she did not produce. Um, but I think here she she's really leveraging her public persona as kind of... Spoiled rich girl. Yeah, as the spoiled daughter <laughs> of, you know, a big Bollywood star uh, who, you know, is really into fashion. She's really leveraging that to play, I think, a really charming and interesting character. And the whole... I mean, the reason why I love Emma and all the iterations I've read of Emma is because she's such a relatable girl. Sure. And, and and because the whole project ends up being about her becoming a better person, about her self-actualizing, you know, about her kind of, you know, she's trying to be a good person, but she doesn't really realize kind of, you know, the, the way that she's treating other well, people. Well, she thinks that, oh, money is the most important thing in the world, and I will save this yeah. destitute young girl by marrying her to a rich person. Then she could be happy like me. But she doesn't realize that she has a best friend slash love interest who's always there for her, mm-hmm. another best friend who's always there for her, and a loving father figure, which for, like, a Jane Austen time, that is not guaranteed. Like, your dad's probably not going to care about you at all, especially if you're a woman. Like, mm-hmm. the fact that uh, there's so many loving fathers in Austen books is kind of an oddity. Mm-hmm. So, like, she has an amazing support system, and she's just never had to think about it. I just think the character, kind of the base character, is just like such a relatable, such a relatable. You want the best for your friends, right? Yeah, and so, and I just, I think Sonam really like brings brings out some sparkle Mm -hmm. into this. I think there's there's this great mix of I think her acting, but also probably the writing, although it's hard to to know. But I think it must be the writing, as well, to somehow. create this situation where you're pulling for her even though she's obnoxious right Right. and and that i think is missing a little bit from um ashwarya rai's character in bride and prejudice because she's kind of not imperfect yeah when i watched that movie i thought this is like a good austin heroine in that she's smart and blunt and stands up for herself but she's kind of perfect otherwise right or she's just perfect like those are not bad traits even if other people don't like them um there's it's so much uh just more real to life and interesting to watch Aisha who is extremely imperfect and grows over time and you're just so happy when her Mm -hmm. when she realizes and also I love the that that scene where she pours her heart out Oh my gosh. She pours her heart out and then she's at the wrong wedding. Was that in Clueless? I can't remember. No, no. And I I love that element because I called it too. Just like yeah. we haven't seen any, we it's like we haven't seen any reaction shots. So like she's obviously the <laughs> I love it because it's such a subversion of kind of like that big gesture in a romantic comedy. I think it's I think it's done really well. 
Um, but you hit the nail on the head, Karen, as to why I love the character of Emma so much, because my whole life I've been criticized for being obnoxious or annoying. And here's a heroine who, like, is, she is obnoxious and annoying, but, like, she has a good heart. She is a good person. You know, she just kind of needs some time to grow. That's also the difference between Jane Austen and romance fiction is typically the main character in the Jane Austen book is very flawed Mm -mm. and you Mm -hmm. see them, you know, grow over the course of the book. Whereas in like straight up romance, it's just like a completely faultless woman meets a super hot guy and there's something in the way. Mm -hmm. Um, And part of the reason why Jane Austen is a good writer is that she's able to think of good characters that... Like, I'm thinking of uh, Twilight or that sort of thing where the main character, you know, she's clumsy and awkward and that sort of thing. And these are signifiers of being an interesting character. But in in reality, it's just, you know, she's an author insert character. Whereas (laughs) Jane Austen, you don't want to be Emma. You mean, you want to be Emma after she figures herself out or Elizabeth Bennet not kind of underestimating everybody she thinks because she thinks she's the smartest person in the room Mm -hmm. and that you know she can she can read a situation perfectly when she can't she doesn't realize that wickham's the wickham's the real uh jerk in the scenario and darcy is quietly trying to fix things and is not going to say out loud that he's taking care of stuff like that so like also just writes good characters and unfortunately most romance fiction afterwards doesn't need to do that because the the function of romance fiction is to like titillate the mind it's not to be literature mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so i think that's one reason why subconsciously people don't like romantic comedies is that they think that it's going to be like well here's a here's perfect people in a movie as opposed to here's imperfect people and and they yeah. don't like them because of sexism well that too <laughs> uh how do did, did people like the songs i think the songs are fine yeah yeah I was just amazed by all yeah. the rich people stuff, the the camp that you, they go you, on. Yeah, you do have an issue with one of the songs. Which one? The the campfire song. Oh, yeah. I just don't like any time a <laughs> guy brings a guitar to a campfire. I like the campfire song, but I was probably the girl who liked the guy with the guitar. But uh. <laughs> I like the song, but I, I do never like the guy that well, brings see, the guitar to a party. I was the guy who tried to learn guitar in high school and was terrible at it. So every true. Time he was. was. Like, he really was. That asshole is able to play guitar, and I can't because I have stupid fingers, like my guitar teacher said. Yeah. So, yeah. Deep-seated regression towards Guitar Man. I do like that they, like, go to, like, some sort of river rafting camp um, as opposed to, like, touring that house because they go to tour What's-His-Face's house, the love interest house. I can't remember his name in the book. Yeah. Um, And so, yeah, I like transplanting that as, like, this river rafting camp, which is just glamping. She falls out of the boat and it's three feet of water. (laughs) I don't remember if glamping was a thing in 2010. I want to say Aisha predicted glamping. (laughs) It might have been. I was, was like, so jealous i thought oh man that looks beautiful yeah i would love to stay in those tents on the beach yeah i would go literally anywhere right now though yes, <laughs> yes. True. anywhere that isn't this room that i'm in all day long there's also a, a fun song where they're at a big um party it's like a big house party uh where they kind of do like a tango-esque tango. yeah. number and all the characters like are switching partners which i just thought was such a good like it's a visual metaphor yeah, for whatever like, exactly what's happening. Yeah. a visual metaphor for what's happening uh and then there's a big wedding song at the end which is also a lot of fun this movie i really enjoy it i think really it's good. really fun yeah 
It's really well done. It's and one I of think, the better Austin adaptations across the board, I think. I think it's a much more satisfying film than what we get with Bride and Prejudice, which just has all these competing elements just like not It's signifiers together. and what's signified. Bride and Prejudice is full of signifiers. It's based on a classic novel. It has mm-hmm. all these Indian like locales and clothes and things. It's just that it never actually approached the emotional core of the story mm-hmm. because it had the man on the, the tennis ball string man. That mm-hmm. was... You you actually need someone else to be in the movie for it to be a romance a romantic comedy. <laughs> the thing, the one thing I liked about both movies was the parents, mm-hmm. which is a theme that came through when last time I was on when we talked about the YA movies because I think so often uh, parents are um, absent or uh, evil or just you know Dead. dumb. Yeah. Or yeah, in uh, in Western movies, but uh, they're so important here. They were very important in the in the YA movies that we saw, and and in this too, right? And mm-hmm. which makes sense because they are so important and loving, like you said, Matt, in Austin as well. Yeah. Well, so, and Matt was even saying, kind of when we were midway through the film, he was like, "The dad hasn't had that much to do," and like the dad and Emma is is an important character, especially in the yeah. new movie. Then, Bill Nye's like probably the third main character. Yeah, uh, and then and then kind of in the second half of the film, you get far more from the dad, and he's so he's such a loving dad. He's a good character. Yeah. He is a little bit Deus Ex. Dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, he kind of is in the book too, because he's just like Emma. I've been paying attention to you your whole life. You're in love with this man. <laughs> You're perfect for each other. You only now just realized it. You should probably try and do something about it. Anyway, I'm going to sit here and eat uh, halwa. (laughs) Oh, that's another thing that they pull from Clueless is because, like, they're concerned about, like, his diet. Mm. Yeah, because in in Clueless, they're concerned about, like, Dan Hideo's blood pressure. And so she's always, like, pulling, like, subs out of his face. (laughs) I've seen Clueless too many times. I'm sorry. Like... Way in too book, many times. The dad, in the book, the dad is kind of the reason that Emma isn't even thinking about getting married because she yeah. can't even imagine not being mm-hmm. there to look after her her yeah. widowed father, right? Which the, that part isn't really in. I show yeah. you get the feeling that the dad is perfectly fine. Is that like, she just likes her mm-hmm. cushy life? But yeah, yeah, Emma um, has to stay. Yeah. Because the older sister has left, so who's going to take care of him? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's not like he could take care of himself. He's He's only a 55-year-old man. Well, he'll starve to death. <laughs> but the parents in Bride and Prejudice are are delightful as the Bennets. And, and mm-hmm. they're t- they they actually do have money problems, which is interesting. It's kind of weird. They have this big house and servants, but the roof leaks. But uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they are... Um, it's just an, they're funny and they're interesting and and the dad loves his daughters more than anything and mm-hmm. that's like that's very awesome i could have used more of the mother in bride and prejudice because mrs bennett is very funny in other adaptations and the book because she's basically like another one of the sisters like she's very excitable and like oh that's a cute boy and like <laughs> <laughs> the, the the father has to be kind of like, come on, get real. That guy's an asshole. You, you can't marry him off. You can't marry our daughters <laughs> off to him. Uh, so she she doesn't do a lot of it on Bride and Prejudice, unfortunately. But 
they really just under they underserved every single character in the movie somehow. I don't know how they did it. Like they didn't actually find someone to focus too much on. They just <laughs> underwrote everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I think we all agree that Aisha is well worth the watch. Yeah. Yeah. Good movie. A good a good entry in the kind of Austin movie verse. Now I want a Northanger Abbey movie. Okay, get ready. You ready? Okay. It's a girl who watches too many Ramsey Brothers movies, okay. and she goes to a she goes to a haunted like supposedly haunted Haveli with some guy who owns it, I guess. And like she keeps thinking that movie monster things are going to happen, but it never does. Damn, okay. that's the movie. All right, you pitch that. Uh, in the meantime, I think we're going to wrap up this episode. <laughs> Karen, thank you so much for joining us again and bringing your enthusiasm for all things Jane Austen. Where can people find you? Uh, probably find me on Twitter at Karen Unland, K-A-R-E-N-U-N-L-A-N-D. But if you follow me, you will just see like a lot of like local news in Edmonton because <laughs> I, <laughs> I own a, a media startup called Taproot Publishing where we're trying to s- save local news, uh, save local journalism. Uh, and if you like podcasts which you must because you listen to this one uh, you can, for an hour and a half no less right now yeah you can find my podcast called that's a thing question mark exclamation point and you can hear me learn a whole bunch of stuff from my kid your that podcast is an invaluable resource as i become more <laughs> of an old and teen things are just incomprehensible to me as well and i don't really like especially this year i don't see any teens at all but like it, it's amazing to hear from the trenches what's actually going on because I don't know any of that stuff. I just got TikTok the other day and all I like <laughs> is the hot beekeeper. I, I don't get half of the jokes on there. I, I never would have known what cottagecore was. Dark academia. dark academia. I've been dressing dark academia my whole life and I had no idea. <laughs> Fortnite. Yeah. I've, I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot from your kids, Karen. Thank you. They are an invaluable resource. Yeah. Really, you should be getting a grant from the government for <laughs> teaching olds like us, like what the children are into. Because... But, but we could teach you a thing or two about Spotify. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, Matt, we will be back in two weeks. What will be, we don't know what we're going to be discussing because we've recorded this ahead of time. Yeah, this is. In the meantime, Matt, how can people keep up with the show? Well, uh, at Bollywood Pod on Twitter, I'm at Matt underscore B-O-W-E-S. I'm at Ernie Fraser, E-R-N-E, F-R-A-S-E-R. Rate and review us on all of your places, like Apple Podcasts is a good one. Um, we'll we'll give you Biffle Points if you do. Yeah, well, Biffle you're... Points exist now, by the way. Yeah, they're real. Yeah, oh, they're real. you can redeem them for excellent prizes. Exactly. Like, I somehow earned enough Biffle Points to get a Tuffy pin, so yeah. thank you. <gasps> we have sent those. All over the world. Yeah, it takes um, six permanent stamps to send something to Qatar. We know this now. We don't know if it's arrived in Qatar. Okay, but well we've we've got to India on six permanent stamps. So yeah, it was like twelve dollars a postage, but it was worth it for the Biffle points. Uh, you also have a different podcast that you host. Yes, while you're leaving your uh, review and star rating and getting those Biffle points, you can listen to my other podcast that I do with Paul Matwichuk called Trash Art and the Movies. Uh, I we've recorded this ahead of time, so I don't know what's going on with that podcast right now. I think right you're now. doing half baked versus yeah. light sleeper. But by the time this episode comes out, who knows? Who knows? Could be anything. Uh, and then, lastly, we want to thank Becca Donkey for our artwork. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.